0: Welcome to another episode of Addiction Audio, the podcast from the journal Addiction. Today I'm joined by Jack Wilson from the University of Sydney at the Matilda Centre and Jack is here to talk about his article titled Weeding Out the Truth, a systematic review and meta analysis on the transition from cannabis use to opioid use and opioid use disorders, abuse or dependence. Uh, Hello Jack, Uh, thank you for joining us. Hi Rob. thank you for having me, I really appreciate it. Um so, your article um, really focuses in on the gateway hypothesis about um, which suggests that people who use um, less risky drugs, let's say like cannabis, will then in later life go on to use um, drugs such as heroin, and that's the specific relationship you looked at. Why is the gateway hypothesis such an important? Um, hypothesis to look at.
1: I guess first to put it into context of my PhD, um, my thesis uh, focuses on the impact of cannabis use among those with opioid use disorder. And typically, the first relationship between use of these two substances is a sequential one whereby cannabis use is usually initi- initiated prior to the use of opioids. But more generally, Research into the transition from cannabis use to more harmful substances such as opioids has been one of the most widely discussed theories in all of substance use research. Um, it, it's, it's influenced policy um, and, and healthcare um, and, and our understanding of, um, of substance use. Um, and the, it's sort of the idea that people begin using substances that are deemed less harmful such as cannabis before progressing on to those more harmful substances, such as opioids. And the use of these less harmful substances somehow increases the odds of more harmful substances. Um, it's increasingly relevant today because we have seen an increase in opioid-related harm in many countries over the past two decades, um, particularly due to non-medical use of prescription opioids, Meanwhile, we are currently witnessing changes in cannabis policy worldwide, making cannabis products more accessible than ever before. Um, So with this in mind, there is an urgent need to understand um, the risks involved in cannabis use, one of which may be the potential progression onto more harmful substances such as opioids. So it's sort of kind of taken that as a given that there is this gateway effect, um, but but what is the evidence for it, and that's what we sort of aim to find out
0: So you conducted a systematic review and meta-analysis collecting all the evidence um, that might support this gateway hypothesis uh, so I mean ultimately, what did you find is is there an association between earlier life cannabis use and later life heroin use or opioid dependence?
1: Yeah <laughs> so uh, after pulling the results together from those uh, six studies um, those using cannabis were more than twice as likely to initiate non-medical use of opioids um, relative to those who had never used cannabis. And people who had used cannabis were also more than twice as likely to develop an opioid use disorder, abuse or dependence, compared to people who had never used cannabis. Um, As for whether it's a sort of causal relationship, it's difficult to say. Um, Although... um, a sensitivity analysis suggests that our findings were robust against unmeasured confounding. The studies were determined to be of low quality um, and exhibit a moderate risk of bias. So, uh, therefore, there is a sort of lack of uh, evidence to support a conclusive causal relationship between cannabis and opioid use, opioid use disorders, abuse, and dependence.
0: I think one of the things that surprised me um, about about your study was. Like you say, this is a very, it's a very common debate about, um, about the gateway hypothesis. Uh, it's been going on for a long time, and a lot of people talk in a very kind of confident uh, way that it either exists or doesn't exist. But you only found six studies that, that met your criteria. Um, did, did that surprise you?
1: Yeah, that, that did surprise us, actually, um, especially considering, as you said, the, the magnitude at which this topic is discussed, um, and for such a long time. Um, It's been sort of um, deeply embedded into policy and um, pop culture. Um, We've heard things such as Reef of Madness, um, popular quotes like, uh, a joint today is a junkie tomorrow. Um, So um, it's it's been around for for quite a long time. Um, And so we were quite um, surprised to see that there were only six eligible studies that accurately assessed the transition from cannabis to opioid use. Um, And at full-text stage, in terms of the ineligible studies, um, many many articles did not ascertain whether cannabis use was used prior to opioids, um, rather assuming an order where cannabis was used first. It was also common for for papers to lump opioids in with other illicit drugs, drugs, commonly due to either a low number of opioid users within that sample or perhaps um, there was just a general interest in illicit drugs more broadly.
0: So you talked there about um, the need to establish a causal relationship that that, that cannabis um, use came before the opioid use. In one of our recent podcasts with uh, Emma Johnson, um, she talked um, about common shared genetic liabilities between cannabis and um, schizophrenia. Uh, is there any way of unpicking the potential for a common liability, such as a genetic liability, for both cannabis use and opioid use?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there are studies that that can do uh, that, um, some of which um, have not been put in place yet, um, such as Mendelian randomization studies, I believe, um Guests on your your previous podcast um, discussed um, that technique. But uh, fortunately, um, three of the six studies were twin studies. And twin studies, as you know, um, are quite valuable in um, determining whether the association between cannabis and opioid use um, is due to genetic and environmental factors or, or rather a causal The relationship, Um, and if there is a causal relationship, we may expect. If there is a causal link between cannabis and opioid use, we may expect that among twin pairs discordant for cannabis use, those using cannabis would be more likely to initiate opioid use and develop problematic patterns of opioid use compared to the twin who didn't use cannabis. And that's because there's a large degree of genetic and environmental overlap the cannabis use is the only distinguishing factor. So if it was if there was that causal link between cannabis and opioid use, we would expect the cannabis using twin to to be more likely to use opioids. In terms of our findings, um, revealed that among zi- dizygotic twin pairs, so those that uh, share on average 50% of the genetic material, um, Among those dizygotic twin pairs, discordant for early cannabis use, there were more than twice as likely to transition to opioid use. But this was not the case for monozygotic twins who share uh, 100% of their genetic material. So overall, this suggests that the relationship between cannabis and subsequent opioid use is at least partially due to genetic factors.
0: So uh, five of the studies that you included, five of the six studies that you included, uh, looked at cannabis user characteristics. Uh, can you explain why this was important and uh, and what you found?
1: Yeah, I think it's particularly important um, in terms of the possible implications. So if we gain a greater understanding of the cannabis use characteristics um, that put people at risk of, of transitioning, we can then... Um, we can then identify those that are at particular risk. Um, so, for instance, one of the studies reported slightly greater odds of initiating uh, opioid use given prior cannabis use among males. Um, another uh, two of the studies found that the odds of initiating opioid use does not differ according to whether cannabis use was used at, uh, uh, before the age of 18 or, or after the age of 18. Which is quite counterintuitive of what we previously be believed um, early age cannabis to be a risk factor. Um, but it's also important to to remember that these are single findings from single uh, from a few studies, um, so the findings should be interpreted um, with caution.
0: One of the other things uh, that I found really interesting was you used um... Uh, e-values mm. uh, to identify the potential for hidden confounders. Can you explain a little bit more about those? I'd, I'd not come across that before.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, how long do we have? Uh, it's, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. Um, but... Two minutes. Two minutes or <laughs> under. <laughs> so an e-value is a way of measuring um, how vulnerable an effect size is to potentially unmeasured confounding. Um, And for instance, in our case, unmeasured confounding could be anything from uh, family history of substance use disorders um, or severity of cannabis use. So anything, any of those factors that will likely influence the, the likelihood of transitioning from cannabis to opioid use. Specifically, the E value is an estimate of the minimum strength of an association that an unmeasured confounding variable would need to have with both the exposure and the outcome to fully account for the association between cannabis and opioid use. Now, to tell you a bit more about how what we did in our study, um, once we calculated those E-values for each of the effect sizes, we discussed our results in terms of the median E-value. So the median E-value for the likelihood of transitioning from cannabis to opioid use was 477 Now this means for at least half the studies, and I say half the studies because I'm talking about the median E value So remember that. So this means for at least half of the studies, if an unmeasured confounding variable had an odds ratio of at least 4.77 with both cannabis and opioid use, the opioid cannabis relationship would be fully explained by uh, confounding. And as for the association between cannabis and problematic patterns of opioid use, the median E value is 4.64. So, so it's quite clear here that an unmeasured confounding variable would need to have quite a strong relationship with cannabis use, opioid use, and problematic patterns of opioid use. Hence, our pooled effect size appears to be quite robust against unmeasured confounding. Um, but that isn't to say that there isn't any uh, unmeasured confounding variables out there that... Um, if included would at least reduce um the um at least reduce the adjusted odds of transitioning from cannabis to
0: opioid use but to find a a single unmeasured confounder with an odds ratio of 4.6 or or whatever it was Mm. you'd you'd be delighted to find that absolutely (laughs) yeah (laughs) um I guess the other thing I just wanted to ask about uh, methods was um, about publication bias, and I know you've spoken to to me about this separately, but mm-hmm. I think one of one of the things with with these studies, and with indeed in in many areas, is that there can be a there can be more studies reported or written up that that find associations than those that that don't. So there's the potential for there to be you know, another six studies that were never written up because they would have reported we found nothing. Um, but there are ways of um, of dealing with that when you're running a systematic review. Can you just talk a little bit more about uh, your experiences there?
1: Yeah, definitely. Publication is, bias is definitely um, uh, an issue of concern, especially for systematic reviews like these. There's always that um, worry that someone out there has written a manuscript with a null finding and just chucked it aside. We, we were able to contact authors for additional sources of data, um, one of which was included in the final analysis. And we also included databases that include unpublished sources of data. So while we um, we utilised measures to reduce the impact of publication bias, it's really something, one of those things that's uh, hanging over you. It's difficult to avoid, um, uh, but yeah, it's it's something we definitely have to
0: acknowledge. Thank you for that. I mean, there's there's there is so much more in this paper than we have time to go into, uh, and I think particularly there's some really interesting uh, elements where you kind of tease apart the difference between opioid use, opioid use dep- disorders, and opioid dependence, and and the link at each stage of that. Um, so. Uh, for anyone listening, do go and read the paper. It's, it's definitely worth doing. Um, but for your area of research, what, what are your next steps now? Um, so you've published this systematic review. What Are you continuing to work in this area?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, as I said previously, uh, my, um, my thesis does look at the impact of cannabis use among those with opioid use disorders. Um, I'm currently collecting data for the 18 to um, 20-year follow-up of the Australian Treatment Outcome Study, which is a longitudinal um, study of people with heroin dependence, longitudinal cohort study. Um, So so my next steps are to sort of um, gain a greater understanding of how cannabis impacts on on those with um, opioid use disorders in terms of their um, opioid use, in terms of their treatment, um, so it sort of um, brought me from um, the initial cannabis um, using, uh, sorry, those that are used uh, initially used cannabis to, um, to those with opioid use disorder. So sort of tracking that life course um, of those with opioid use disorder and seeing how cannabis impacts um, at different stages.
0: Fantastic. Uh, we look forward to hearing your results and uh, good luck in the the final year of your PhD.